This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Powerplay, a new series which is part of The Straits Times Asian Insider podcast channel. I'm Danson Chong, ST's China correspondent based in Beijing. And I'm Carissa Yong, ST's US correspondent based in Washington. Together, every month, both of us will look at various facets of the US-China rivalry and its implications for Asia. To kick this episode off, we're going to look at the Meng Wanzhou incident and what her release means for US-China relations. Meng, of course, is the Huawei chief financial officer who recently returned to China after being detained for almost three years in Canada, where she was battling extradition to the US. Carissa, would you like to recap the saga quickly for our listeners? Meng was arrested in 2018 in Vancouver on a US warrant, and prosecutors in the US wanted her extradited to the US to face charges. She was accused of flouting US sanctions on Iran for allegedly misleading HSBC in 2013 about Huawei's business dealings in Iran. Yes, I think Beijing saw this as a political move to exert pressure on Huawei and Chinese tech companies. Do you remember what China did after Meng was arrested? Well, China quickly arrested the two Canadians, the two Michaels, Michael Kovrig, a former Canadian diplomat, and Michael Spavor, a businessman who has worked extensively in North Korea. Both were accused of espionage, but no evidence was ever presented publicly and both were tried in closed-door trials. Both men were released simultaneously after Meng was released. You know, Carissa, it's been very interesting to see how differently the issue has played out in both the US uh, and here in China. Meng, you know, got a hero's welcome when she returned home on September 25th. You know, hundreds of people gathered at Shenzhen's uh, Baoan Airport to welcome her home, even though they knew fully that they would not be able to even see her because she would have to go into quarantine. State media and officials here have been very quick you know, to cast this episode as an example of China's growing power and how it has successfully stood up to the US. The foreign ministry, for example, you know, has said uh, Meng's freedom was because of the, I quote, unremitting efforts of the Chinese government. Media reports you know, highlight how Meng has neither pleaded guilty nor paid a fine. The mood you know, in China has been genuinely jubilant. On the other hand, you know, there has been barely any reporting about the two Michaels being released. So Carissa, I'm, I'm actually quite curious. How you know, is the issue being viewed or reported in Washington? Unsurprisingly, Denson, America's on the flip side of the coin. Many were calling it a prisoner swap, even though the Biden administration denied that it was that. So to the US, it was clear evidence that what China was doing was really hostage diplomacy. Because they were released around the same time, this sort of removed the fig leaf of excuses. You know, it sort of like overturned China's official insistence that the arrests of the two Michaels were not linked to Meng. And this whole saga really tarnished China's reputation in the eyes of America. The hostage-taking was seen as a heavy-handed tactic, not becoming of an aspiring global superpower that claims to promote the rule of law in international relations. So, you know, Denson, it was really seen as a case of a bully getting its way. But what about the political reaction to Meng's release? You know, was Biden seen as caving to Chinese demands? Well, his critics accused him of being a sellout, you know, of capitulating to China, of appeasing China. But in a sense, that was inevitable. The Republicans, you know, particularly those who are China hawks, like to criticize Biden and more broadly the Democrats for being soft on China. So to them, being tough on China is a way to sell their own credentials. But Democrats, on the other hand, didn't really say much, even though one congressman, Brett Sherman of California, did say it meant that China's hostage-taking had succeeded. 
And he also said that this showed that Biden was unwilling to risk economic fallout from a major confrontation with China. But all of this was pretty expected, given Washington's politics. So all that said, how much do you think this is going to cost Biden politically? Well, for Biden, I don't think this will cost him that much. He has much bigger fish to fry, you know, like trying to get his infrastructure bill passed in Congress. And anyway, this whole saga was started under the Trump administration, so Biden can say that he was just cleaning up after his predecessor. And actually, if anything, Dunson, he can claim credit for pressing China to release the two Michaels. You know, his press secretary said that he had raised their case in his call with C on September 9th. And the Globe and Mail, a Canadian newspaper, reported that Biden had insisted that Ming would not be released unless the two Michaels were freed at the same time. So Biden can also spin it and say that the U.S. gained an admission of responsibility from Huawei and Ming for concealing their dealings with Iran. But in a more subtle way, it's America's reputation that might have taken a little hit. Washington likes to say that it follows the rule of law and that its Justice Department is independent from the White House. But now it kind of looks like the Justice Department decided to grant the deferred prosecution agreement with Ming in line with Biden's agenda. But Denson, do you think this is as big a win as Beijing is claiming it to be? Well, over here, I think the incident uh, is also you know, being seen as an exchange of captives, that both sides have struck a deal. Um, and I think even though China has been counting this you know, as a win, I think uh, it has sustained some serious damage from this whole episode. You know, the fact that the two Michaels were released so soon after Meng you know, reinforces the view that many have that China is a country without rule of law. Now, I think, you know, while Meng was released after she had entered a deferred uh, prosecution agreement with, with the U.S. Justice Department, there wasn't any kind uh, of legal basis as to why the two Michaels were released. You know, it runs sort of counter to Beijing's previous claims that they were guilty of serious offenses and, you know, sort of solidifies the perception that China's legal system is not independent and is politically controlled. You know, I think it has serious ramifications for foreign businesses and nationals uh, who are living and working in China. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. On the other hand, though, since Meng's release, U.S.-China relations do seem to be improving a little. We can see that in U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai's speech, where she said that she would engage with China on trade and revive the tariff exclusion process. Meanwhile, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan and China's top diplomat Yang Jiechi had talks in Switzerland last week, and this was their first face-to-face meeting since Biden became president. And that yielded the announcement that Biden and Xi have agreed to hold a virtual summit by the end of this year. Yes, I think with Meng's release, you know, the general expectation is that this could lead to a thaw in relations. I think if you recall, uh, back in July, when Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman visited Tianjin, uh, her Chinese counterpart handed her two lists, you know, containing China's grievances. And Meng's release was one of those items. That's quite a long list, right? Yes, and you know, it also includes items like you know, revoking visa restrictions over Communist Party members and their families, uh, revoking sanctions on Chinese leaders, officials, and government agencies, you know, and, and you know, uh, the revoking the registration of Chinese media outlets as, as foreign agents or foreign missions, among other things. But China also outlined three bottom lines that the U.S. needed to adhere to for relations to improve. You know, it couldn't challenge China's political system. Uh, you know, cannot. Uh, obstruct its development and, and should not, you know, infringe on its sovereignty, you know, including uh, on issues like uh, Xinjiang, Tibet, Hong Kong, and Taiwan. 
you know, after Meng's release, you know, it seems like Beijing has been doubling down on these requests, you know, with the foreign ministry saying that the U.S. has to make uh, further concessions. But I was wondering, I don't know whether you think this is possible. I don't really think so. Biden has proven to be quite resistant to Beijing's requests. So far, he's shown little sign of wanting to ease restrictions on a whole range of issues, from trade to visas. And even with climate cooperation, one of his top priorities, he hasn't wanted to trade China's cooperation in a quid pro quo for dropping tariffs. Denson, we can see that Biden has really moved from rubbishing the idea that China's out to eat our lunch to wanting competition with China to be fair. And to him, and to most of the Washington establishment, that means curbs to stop China from taking advantage of American businesses and the openness of American campuses and the media ecosystem. So actually, in fact, some experts see the pressure on Huawei only heating up as the tech competition gets more intense between the US and China. So what do you think this will mean for both sides? Are we still in a stalemate? Or do you think relations are going to improve? Well, even though the Meng case has been resolved, almost nothing else has. So Biden's press secretary made it a point to stress that US concerns about China had not softened and that its policy towards China has not changed. So this policy is actually one of competition and of holding China to account for its unfair economic practices, says the press secretary, and human rights abuses. But actually, Denson, just to step out of the US for a bit, I think that for China-Canada relations, even if they do thaw in the short term, China's actually lost Canada in the long run. Before the arrest of the two Michaels, the Canadians were a lot more open to engagement with China. However, after the arrest, polls show that their attitudes to China have hardened. There was this poll out recently by Nano's Research. It showed that many more Canadians oppose Huawei's presence in Canada's 5G networks. Two-thirds now compared to only half in 2019. And nearly 7 in 10 also oppose a free trade deal with China. And 87% of Canadians support Canada joining with the US, Britain and Australia to contain China's growing power. So I feel that shows that the entire saga has really damaged the relationship between Canada and China. Those are good points, Carissa, and I think worth keeping in mind. Well, I think that nicely wraps up our chat. You've been listening to Powerplay. I'm Danson Chong. And I'm Carissa Yong. Do check out our bylines in the Straits Times online. We also have links in our podcast text description below. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.